five verses there, verses 38 to 42 of that chapter. If you uh, would like to follow along kind of throughout the message this morning, uh, this morning, you, you, you actually do get sermon notes on my Saturday night, so I printed those out. If you're wondering who did the cutting job, that was me too. So I obviously do not teach. I am a high school teacher. Um, I probably didn't introduce myself that way. Uh, but not a preschool teacher, and I never went to preschool, so I, I guess you, you see that uh, you see that in my cutting job. But uh, you at least have notes there that you can follow along on. Um, let, let's take a look at God's word uh, this morning in Luke chapter ten. There it says, as Jesus and his disciples went on their were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. So as we begin this morning, I guess the first thing that I'm going to ask is, uh, all right, with summer ahead of us, how many weeks of uh, vacation are you planning on taking throughout the summer? Maybe one week or, or two weeks? Every day. Every day? Okay, well, it's uh, How about uh, six weeks? And, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a teacher who just finished his last day of school last week, because actually it's, it's a little busier than you might think as a teacher, but I, I, I ask that uh, because maybe if you pay attention to kind of world news, especially over the last decade, the country of France has uh, had a lot of press for its rather generous vacation policy. See, in France, it's mandatory that every worker gets at least five weeks of vacation, and in some cases, you can get eight weeks or more. And they tend to take them all on a big bunch, a big chunk, right in the middle of the summer. Uh, and that's in addition to the 12 days, uh, holidays that they also have, in addition to the mandatory 35-hour work week. So, I mean, I guess it's safe to say that that's not quite what we have here in the United States, is it? I was reading this uh, this past week, and uh, I, I came across a, a kind of a comical fact that back in 1967, there was an expert who testified before a Senate subcommittee, and he predicted that by the year 1985, the American work week would only be 22 hours, which would be a little off, I think, right? Because actually, in fact, if you totaled up all the hours that Americans work, here in the richest nation on the planet, we work more hours than any other industrialized nation on this earth. Compared to our continental counterparts, we work weeks more than the other people around us. We are uh, busy people. And that's just work, right? I mean, and then you add in all the pastimes that we have, the, the hobbies that we pursue, whether it's golf or it's it's tennis or it's it's maybe um, fishing or whatever it is. Um, you, you you add in TV and uh, books, taking kids to this activity or that activity. I mean, it's it's a busy life. I mean, we we work hard, we we play hard too. We are busy people. So much so that there was a, a, a woman who um, came from another culture. She first experienced American culture and uh, you know, started interacting with American people. And um, one of the, the first things that she noticed was that everybody introduced themselves as busy. And so she thought, 
past week, you know, when people ask me, oh, how are you doing? Somewhere in me, there's always this urge, and I don't know why, this impulse to say, well, okay, all this other stuff, but I'm busy. You're busy. I don't know what your to-do list looks like, but I know what mine does, and, and, and even though I, I guess I'm supposedly done with school as a teacher, I've got more things on my to-do list and, and meetings and, and, and projects that I have to tackle uh, just in this coming month, then I don't think I'm going to get tackled enough. In fact, I'm, I just tell my wife, there's no way I'm going to get all the stuff done that I need to. I'm pretty sure you can relate to that, too. That uh, there's just more things than we can possibly do. We, we work hard. We, we play hard. And I suppose some people would say, well, it's just the curse of, of modern life. But I guess today we want to kind of consider, is it really a modern problem? Today we're going to be looking at those words that I just read, and in those words we, we see Jesus, and he's just four months before his death here, and he's on his way to Jerusalem, but he takes a little detour. He stops in the city of Bethany to go visit a family there that was near and dear to him. This is a family that was not only comprised of followers of his, two sisters and a brother, but they were also people that were See, Jesus knew that trouble was going to strike this family in, in, in the not-too-distant future, and that those two sisters, they were going to have their faith tested and challenged in a way that had never been challenged before. Suddenly and unexpectedly, their brother Lazarus was going to die. And soon thereafter, then, their teacher, their master, their friend Jesus was also going to die. Jesus knew that, and he knew that they were going to lose very suddenly and unexpectedly these two men that they loved the most, and their faith was going to be went there out of love for them, to prepare them for that. Yeah, let's just uh, consider those words that uh, are recorded in, um, in that again. We read, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Eventually she came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, when you hear that story, and I'm sure many of you have heard this before, so I want you to just set aside, you know, probably the point that you've heard made with this before, but I just want you to think of it. When you hear that story, of those two people, Mary and Martha, who can you relate to more? I mean, Mary's sitting there appearing to do nothing, you got Martha just scurrying around that house, tending to this detail, to that detail, uh, kind of get everything done. I mean, honestly, I think based on what I said at the beginning, I'm guessing that your life isn't too much different than mine. Most of us find ourselves living very much in a Martha kind of world. So that when we see Martha looking at her sister saying, this isn't right, I mean, why should I be sitting here doing all the work and she's just sitting there doing nothing? That just doesn't seem right. There's a part of us that kind of thinks, yeah, right to, to go and maybe set set Mark, or set Mary straight. You know, especially if you look at the context right before this. You know, right before this, the verse right before this incident, that's where Jesus says, "Go and do likewise." After the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, the, the teacher of the law had come and said, um, "You know, what do we have to do to, to be saved?" And 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 that's where Jesus kind of dispels that notion of saving yourself. But Jesus does grant that what God wants us to do in our lives is to love him 
Now, think about it. Now in this house, you have Jesus, their Lord, as their neighbor, right there, waiting to be served. I mean, there's a part of us that as we look at that, not only because of our busyness, but because of the context that looks at this, well, maybe, maybe Martha's got a point. Now, I think we can all find ourselves saying, boy, it sure would be nice to just sit around and do nothing, but if I don't do it, then nobody will. If I don't do it, then it's not going to get done right. We, we live in a Martha world. And we almost wear our busyness like a badge of honor, don't we, sometimes? A couple quotes that I came across this weekend as I, or week as I prepared for this uh, weekend. This, the first is uh, from an article in the New York Times called The Busy Trap, and there the article has this to say. I kind of refer to it uh, in the words of forgiveness for today, but think about why we're busy sometimes. That badge of honor idea. The writer there, who's not a Christian, says, Obviously, your, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, in demand, every hour. Another pretty famous writer, uh, Stephen Covey, uh, not only a time management guru, but also a leadership guru, Seven Habits of uh, Highly Effective People, he, he wrote this, People expect us to be busy, to be overworked. It's become a status symbol. If we're busy, we're important. If we're not busy, we're embarrassed to admit it. Busyness is where we get our security. It's validating. It's popular. It's pleasing. It's also a good excuse, he says, for not dealing with the first things in our lives. I want you to think about that. The first things. The important things. The needful things. Maybe he's on to something here. How many of you are asking, well, what does that have to do with Mary and Martha here, those words that we just read there about busyness? And I think as we, we do that, the first thing that we have to do is we have to take care of a couple of misconceptions that come up with, with looking at Mary and Martha here. But the first is, as we look at Mary and Martha, we might think, well, Mary's kind of sitting there doing nothing. Martha's stirring around. She's doing all the work. And maybe we get this idea that Mary's maybe a little bit lazy. Martha, she's got the good work ethic. What you want to remember there is that when Jesus, when Jesus responds to Martha and her request, he in no way grants that she is right about Mary. That she's that Mary's well maybe a little bit lazy. Martha's on the right course here. Remember, there's all sorts of places in the Bible that Jesus very clearly speaks against laziness and the need to work and work hard and whatever that it is that we do. And I look at the book of Proverbs, look at 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, all over the place. God tells us that. We are to work so that we can eat. Jesus doesn't grant that that's the, the difference between Mary and Martha here. That Mary was lazy and Martha was not. There, there is a difference, but it's not in that. Instead, the difference is a little more subtle. And on your, um, on your sermon notes, I want you to take a look at uh, what I have there for verse 39. Now, you can compare it to verse 39 up there. There's one word that's especially different. If you have a sister called Mary who also, in the original language, that word also is there, and it's not brought out by the NIV, and that's, that's okay. It doesn't necessarily change everything there, but it definitely hides the difference between Mary and Michael a little bit more. See, Mary worked hard and got everything ready for a time. Mary knew that she was inviting Jesus into her house as well. She worked hard to do all of that, but there was an also in Mary's life. The difference was not that Martha did all the work and Mary did nothing. Mary worked hard too, but she did something else. 
She recognized that there was a time for preparations, but then there was a time that Jesus started to open his mouth and he was going to talk, and then it was time to sit at his feet and be filled with God's word. Mary realized that there was a time for hard work, but then there was a time to sit like an empty vessel in front of Jesus, to listen to the words, and then to be filled with the water of life, like a, like a, a thirsty soul in the desert, what Jesus was giving, that these words are spirit and these words are life, Jesus says in John 6, 63, to be filled up with that one thing needful that she wasn't going to get anywhere else. Dear friends, it's okay to, to work hard and to be busy. It's okay to play hard, to, to, to schedule your, your, your days from 6 to midnight. I mean, sometimes. I think there's sometimes where we do need to have a better sense of what's really important, what do we really need to be there's going to be days where it's extremely busy for us because there's seasons like that. Sometimes we can try to act in love, we can try to, to, to be motivated by love, but it doesn't always lead us to, to do the right things. I mean, for instance, like when, when parents maybe find themselves sort of resisting the idea of disciplining their kids, I'm not going to discipline them because I love them. We know, though, that that ends up being a detriment to not only their, their, their health, their, their character development, but also their spiritual welfare. You know, sometimes in love we can want to do the the right thing but not come to the right conclusion because we don't think through everything that God's word has to say. And that's especially true in, in, in Martha here. 
she wants to serve Jesus in love, but the thing that she just can't get and see is how could sitting at Jesus' feet and just listening to him be more important than making sure that Jesus is happy? She loved him. didn't say that her work was all wrong when Jesus responds, does he? I don't see that there. It's not that it's all wrong that she wanted to serve him. It, it, he doesn't, you know, belittle her or say that what she was trying to do was stupid. It's that Mary has chosen better. She has better priorities. I mean, you definitely see that in the way that, that Jesus responds. He says, Martha, Martha. doesn't Martha, Martha, those are always words of concern whenever Jesus says someone's name twice. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he says. How I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sit you at feet. Words of concern and love to somebody who's not quite on the right track. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen I think that's a huge lesson for us as Christians, isn't it? I mean, it's okay to pursue all these things, to work hard and fun and family and hobbies and vacations and all those things, but we do have to ask ourselves how they're pulling us in all these different directions so that finally we're forgetting the one thing we Are they pulling us away from that opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet and to take in that word that he would give us, that word that he tells us is spirit and it is life. It's, it's a hard thing to live like a Mary and a, a Martha kind of world. And I wonder sometimes if, if that's not something that Satan loves to tempt us with. Because I know what my to-do list looks like, and I can only imagine what yours does too. And sometimes I think Satan just tries to overwhelm us with all those things. It, it's interesting. I, I, I thought of a, a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis's famous Screw tape letters, that's where he's got two demons talking to each other about how to best tempt human beings. Again, it's obviously uh, made up, but he does it lacing a whole bunch of scriptural truths in there. But this is what one demon says there. He says, it's funny how mortals, human beings, always picture us as putting things into their minds in order to tempt them. He says, in reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. No doubt by just having us get caught up in the rat race of life. Another pastor, Mark Driscoll, says, if Satan can't tempt us with sin and error, simply try to exhaust us and to surrender. And when he does, sometimes isn't he robbing us of the peace and the joy that God wants to have? When he robs us of this opportunity to, to sit before Jesus and, and listen to, to his word, because he says that all of this is his word, isn't he robbing us of that opportunity to get the guidance that we need so that we can start to learn, well, maybe I don't need to be doing all, all of this or all of that. Robbing us of the, the love that we need, the energy that God would give us, the power and the strength that God would give us through that word so that we can accomplish all those difficult tasks that, yes, God does call us to do sometimes. Now, you're here today, right? So you've overcome one of the big temptations that Satan would put into your lives, and Jesus promises you that, that you will be better for it. He promises you that you will leave today with a faith that was stronger than when you came in. He promises you today that you will be more ready to go out and to share Jesus with somebody who doesn't know him. He promises you today that you will 
will be better able to prioritize your life and put him first in everything that you do. He promises that by being assured of that forgiveness, and your hope is not going to be uh, entirely in this life. Your hope is going to be in the next life, the perfection that God has for you. But I guess as we think about that, I'd ask you, how is that going to change your sense of priority now? You know, when something's a priority for us, we, we make it happen, right? I just think of, of TV shows that I, I like to watch. Um, I don't even have DVR, but that would make it even easier. But even without DVR, I, I could somehow make it a point to watch the shows that I want to. And yet, even as a pastor, I can't always say that about opportunities to, to sit at Jesus' feet. Listen to him talk to me. I wonder maybe if you're not the same here. When that happens, when maybe week to week it's hard to make time for church and worship, maybe in the rush of summer, eh, it's sort of dispensable. Maybe on a day-to-day basis, I'm just so busy that I can't. I can't even get 15 minutes. And maybe Jesus is calling to us. You've got your mind being pulled in so many different directions, your heart being pulled in so many directions by... So many different things. Just stop. Set your deadly doing down. Just listen. Because these words are spirit and they are life. Words from the, the um, from Jesus with those feet that probably they probably didn't look all that glamorous as Mary sat at them. Just like sometimes maybe your pastor or whatever pastor standing before you, they look rather human and ordinary, and sometimes they, they may not bring what you feel is they're aging. They're speaking Jesus' words to you. Those words are spirit in your life. Those are the words of Jesus who, whose feet were nailed to a cross for you. Whose feet walked out of that empty tomb alive and victorious over your sin and over mine. The feet of Jesus that ascended to heaven to rule over all things for you and for me. And you're listening to the voice of that Jesus that says, You're forgiven. And one day you will say, Take the inheritance that I prepared for you since before the creation of the world. Be a Mary and Mark I think it's interesting that uh, I, I'm guessing that Martha probably stopped working when Jesus said that to her. And um, not only on that occasion, but we know that from another occasion. Because Jesus' words, his knowledge came true that Lazarus was going to die. And with that, there came all sorts of preparations because her family was a wealthy family, a popular family, and all sorts of people streamed out of Jerusalem to Mary and Martha's house. house. And I can't imagine what sort of preparations uh, would have had to have been taken care of to get that ready for that funeral, in addition to just the burden and the weight that was on her heart as she carried those out. But four days later, after her death, when Jesus showed up, Martha that night, she dropped everything. She's the one that ran out to Jesus. She's the one that listened to Jesus when he said, I am the resurrection of the life. Whoever lives and believes me will never die. And she said, I know you're the Christ, the Son of God. But she wasn't disappointed, was she? As her brother walked out of the grave alive and well. And she knew that those words that he spoke, they are truly spirit. And they are truly life. 
this time we'll join together in, uh, in prayer and then in praying the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray without the screen. Heavenly Father, um, we come to you today and we confess that, uh, like Martha, with all the opportunities and the blessings that you put in our life and it, I guess at this unique place and this unique time, uh, we thank you for those blessings, but we also recognize that there is a challenge that comes with all that access and opportunity because we can do so many things. Sometimes we end up doing all those things. We're trying to do all those things. And it just leaves us idle. It leaves us unfocused and distracted from sometimes the one thing that's meaningful. And so again, we ask that you would renew in our hearts that great appreciation and that great value that, that we should set on your word. Because there you tell us about Jesus. There you point us to our Savior again. There you speak to us those words of life to remind us what we have that this world won't ever offer us in terms of peace in terms of joy, in terms of strength. As we go to Jesus and we find rest today, we ask that you leave us re-energized and, and allow us to, to leave so that we can better serve you with a sense of priority. But where there are those many things that are sometimes hard to do as, as parents, as fellow Christians, as co-workers, uh, we ask that you would empower us to do those things. To give a listening ear to those that need that. To give sympathy and prayer to those that need that. To be there to help people and uh, to just support our families and, their, and whatever else we have in our lives as you give us the opportunity to do so. Be with us as we do that. Always lead us to prioritize your word 